Welcome to week five of Ordo Salutis. If you've got your uh, handout in front of you, you'll notice it has a staple this morning. That is not an accident. We have a, uh, a lot of verses this morning, but don't worry, we're going to move pretty quick and fly kind of high, so we'll get there. But your first blank, if you're a note taker, is uh, Ordo Salutis means the order of salvation. It's just a Latin phrase. Um, and we're just looking at all the components of salvation uh, in October, November, and December. Um, the October words that we looked at were foreknowledge, predestination, election, sin, atonement, propitiation, evangelism, conviction, and calling. Today, we're looking at repentance and faith. Uh, and if I continue with my uh, illustration of the umbrella and what's under the umbrella, uh, today is this. Today is the minimum possible that you've got to understand about salvation to be saved. It's repentance and faith. It's the actions that we have to participate in with God. And quite frankly, it's not all of it. It's just the minimum. There's so much more. We've spent a month already talking about words that happen before this. We'll spend the rest of November talking about the other things that happen at the moment of salvation, like conversion, regeneration, justification, redemption, adoption, and reconciliation. And then we'll spend December looking at all the things that happen after the moment of salvation, sanctification, mortification, evidence, perseverance, eternal security, and glorification. So it's a, it's a very broad topic um, with a lot of different components. So, word for the day. Number one is repentance. So the shorter definition is man turns. Man turns. And the longer definition would be repentance is man turning to God because of man's sorrow for man's sin. So there's some understanding that we come to, and this primarily is a result of the information that we learned about last week, the conviction and the calling and the evangelism, the sharing of information about the reality of ourselves and the reality that we fall short um, so that we can then become sorrowful for our sin and turn to God. So uh, the word, so a lot of times we think salvation is a New Testament only concept, and it is not. It is present in the Old Testament. It is rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, so the first word we'll look for today is uh, nakam. Uh, it's a verb. It's Strong's 5162. That uh, means to be sorry, to console oneself, to repent, to regret. Um, and there's really over a hundred verses in the Old Testament that use this word. So even on a four-page handout, this is the summary of the summary of these words. We're, we're nowhere near getting into all the details. But Genesis 6, um, what's the story in Genesis 6? Anybody know from a chapter summary perspective? Where are we at in Genesis 6? So we're past Adam and Eve. It's right, right before the flood, right? Right before the flood. So this is in the flood mode in verses 6 and 7. And the Lord was sorry, and that's the word, that he had made man on the... On the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am, here it is again, sorry that I have made them. So the idea is that there's some action that someone has taken that looking back on it, they regret. Okay? And this, this can happen of God, and this can happen of man. Now, before you go down the theological rabbit hole of wondering how this happens with God, that is a long conversation. That is not one we will talk about in here today. But that's the idea of the Old Testament word for uh, repentance and sorry. So Strong's 278, we move over to the Greek. Um, <clears throat> can't even come close to pronouncing that one, so sorry. Uh, you can Google that and hopefully help with there. 
Uh, but 2 Corinthians 7.10 is a good verse that uses this word. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. So this is the idea that uh, without repentance, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And this is really a concept that we explored a little bit last week around the idea that you can be sorry for something and change behavior, but if there's no coming to a full relationship with Christ and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there won't be a change of the person. This is the, uh, and, and we all have this experience at home, or it, whether you have kids or whether you were a kid and you remember back to this, you got in trouble for something and you felt sorry about it, right? And then your behavior changed because you didn't want to get a beating for it, right? You familiar with this concept? And did your heart change though? Well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And the word for biblical repentance is this heart change and turning toward a different behavior. This is different from a pagan that sees that they did something wrong. I deal with numbers a lot in my job, and I work with a lot of unsaved people um, that think they are good, morally upright people. Okay? And when a good, morally upright person sees a mistake that they made, they generally go, oh, man, I need to fix that. Okay, let's go. We fix that. And then you feel better about yourself because you have fixed your error. And that is not what this is about. This is about there is some sin that has taken place and I am sorrowful about this and I need the help of another to change my behavior on a permanent basis away from that. Does that make sense? You tracking with me so far? Yes. I feel like I've jumped in very quickly this morning and you guys aren't awake yet, so stay with me. All right. So the next word is Strong's 3340. Uh, it's a verb, uh, metaneo, uh, to change one's mind uh, for the better. Um, and this word is used very frequently in the New Testament. Uh, it's very, used very frequently about the early sermons of Jesus and John the Baptist. And it's also used in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Uh, and this is the idea of repent and repent and repent and repent. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this was, this was the theme of his sermons for many months. Um, Jewish rabbis weren't rabbis until they turned 30. If, if you ever wondered why Jesus didn't start preaching until he was 30, well, that's, that's why he didn't have the title until that point. As soon as he got the title, his message was repentance and repentance and repentance. John the Baptist was, what, six months older than Jesus, and for six months before that, John the Baptist had been preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. The Lamb of God is coming, repentance. The Messiah is coming, repentance. The Messiah is coming, he is coming. He is coming. And when he came, he went, there he is. So he, he hands this message baton to Jesus, and Jesus goes, repent, 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 repent. And he travels all around this area with this message of repentance. So it wasn't a love, 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 love message like we commonly believe and hear about Jesus. It was repent, repent, repent. And the reality is there's a reason for this. Now, you asked me a question two weeks ago after Sunday school because I made a comment about um, God doesn't throw people away, right, because they make a mistake. And uh, Bobby came up to me after Sunday school and he had a great question. He said, well, what about, who was the couple? Ananias and, and Sapphira in the New Testament, right? 
they lied to the early church leaders about some things that they had sold and they brought and they presented their gift and they were lying when they did it. And what happened to them? Smite. And you're going, well, that sounds like God threw them away. Well, he's omniscient and he does what he's supposed to do. But the reality is we never know how long we have. There is a sense of urgency to the gospel because I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I drive around every single day in a 1977 Ford F-100. It is a mini tank, okay? Please do not pull out in front of me in your little piece of plastic, okay? (laughs) It will not go well for you. However, there are things that could take my truck and make it look not even like a truck. If I tried to beat a train and it didn't work, Oh, by the way, if you ever read a story about me trying to beat a train and I died from that, y'all need to look further. I ain't beating no train, okay? <laughs> there was some foul play afoot and something was wrong. So, okay. So, squirrel moment back. There we go. Um, but there are things that can turn my truck into something that needs to be recycled, right? I have no idea how long I'm going to live. Repentance is critical. It is a tremendous amount of urgency associated with repentance. All right, so let's look at the next uh, verse. That was Matthew four seventeen. Uh, let's look at Luke thirteen five. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So repentance is connected to, uh, ne- it's necessary to avoid hell because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to perish. Um, Luke fifteen seven. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine just persons who need no repentance. So your next blank, repentance is a cause for joy. When we see someone repent of sin, that is good. We are turning toward Christ to become more like Him. This is a positive thing. This is not just, oh, great, somebody got saved. That's wonderful. And you scroll past that post on Facebook. That ought to be, how many times can I click like? Can I click love? Can I say, this is awesome? Can I say, life was changed? Can I say, something is different? This is beautiful because repentance is a cause for joy. So then we scroll down and we look at Acts 17.30. I say scroll down because I'm skipping like 15 verses in my notes. It just just tears me up to do this. But you guys don't want to sit in here until 2.30 this afternoon, so I have to skip verses. So Acts 17.30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So we see that regardless if you know this message or if you don't know this message, we are all under the command to repent. And you go, well, Jim, that's not fair. What about people who haven't heard? This is why we go. This is why we give. This is why we pray. This is why we get engaged, because there are some that haven't heard. And this is a problem. This is a huge problem. The founder of the school that I went to for two years in Greenville, South Carolina, used to say, the greatest problem in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. It is not political problems. It is not uh, undernourishment of kids. It is not abortion. It is not murder. It is not all these other things that are bad and problems in our world. It is that people are dying and going to hell because they do not know Christ. And repentance is critical in that relationship. 
So, then we look at Revelation 2, 5, and this is just a sample of the word, how the word repent shows up in Revelation 2 and 3. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. This is the Jesus writing these letters to the churches. Remember where you fall and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we see repentance is not just something that is inside the sphere of soteriology in the salvation arena. Even after we are saved, we are to continue to repent. We are to continue to repent. We are to continue to repent. Now this is not a continue to go through the process of salvation. This is the continue to get right with God. Um, one of the things... <clears throat> One of the, the things I love about the movie uh, Apollo, which was it Apollo 11 or 13? 13, yes, thank you. Um, the, that movie shows all these, you, you know, they're, they're in this little module, right, and they're flying to the moon, and the reality is you have more computing power in your pocket on your smartphone than they had in that whole thing, right? I mean, it's, it's really scary what they went up there with. And there were really smart guys with slide rules back in Houston doing all kinds of calculations and tracking them and telling them, you need to make a burst change right here. And you need to make a course correction right here. And you need to make a course correction here. And the reality is, I thought that you launched and then you landed. And the reality is you make thousands of course corrections all along the way. And to me, this is what repentance, it's a really good example of repentance because it's not just you get saved and here we go, you're done with repenting the rest of your Christian life. No, 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 no. We have this tendency to wander, right? Nobody else has, I have a tendency, I should put both hands up probably, um, to wander and we need course correction, course correction. Turn, 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 turn. You know, it's like a GPS that never stops because we're never there. God's GPS will stop when we look like Jesus. So when we get to the glorification on December 15th and talk about that, repentance is over at that point. We're done. We're done with repentance. But it doesn't stop until that point. So Revelation 3.19, the next verse, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Well, we just can't get over this, can we? It doesn't stop. And then Revelation 16.11, this is kind of the scary part, they blaspheme the God of heaven. Now, this is Revelation 16, okay? So this is right in the middle of all the stuff that Revelation's known for. This is the bad stuff that's going on. They, the, the evildoers, blaspheme the God of heaven because of their plans, or their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. So it would make me think, if I put my logical hat on, that if the world is going through cataclysmically bad events, that were described in a book that is relatively well known and, and that book also says Jesus is the way that those who are going through these really, really bad events would look at the book and go, hey, I think it was right. Maybe we should get right with God. And the reality is there will come a day, here's your blank, when it is too late to repent. And we go, well, that doesn't sound fair the reality that we even have a possibility to ever repent is beyond fair in our favor. We are sinners. We deserve hell, period. The beautiful thing, God takes an eraser, he erases the period, he puts a comma. And Jesus came and provided a way, period. Oh, I like that sentence better. It's a much better relationship. And God, in his infinite sovereignty, says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And it's beautiful. 
So that's not the last word for repentance. The next one is Strong's 3341. Uh, we'll look at, this is uh, metanoia. This is the, the noun version of repentance. So Mark 217, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love that. Jesus likes pagans. Yes, this is good for us. This is really, really good for us. Uh, Acts 5.31, him, this is talking about Jesus. God has exalted to the Father's right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So we see that Israel is part of repentance. And we skip down a couple chapters. Acts 11.18, when they had heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So the Israelites get a chance for repentance and the Gentiles get a chance for repentance. So if you divide the world up, can you put everybody into either the Israelite or Gentile category? Yes. That is 100% of all people. So that tells me that salvation is for everyone. And it is beautiful. Acts 26.20, But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and... Do works befitting of repentance? What? Yeah, that's because true repentance can be seen. True repentance can be seen. It doesn't stop at the moment of salvation. It continues. It changes us. It's not just a mental ascent. This was a a big controversy in the last 50 years in Christianity, is whether salvation is just a mental ascent or is it an actual change in someone. It is a change in someone. Salvation, by definition, is a change. You are a new Creature, if you look at your life before Christ and after Christ and you say, there has been no change, then I would tell you there has been no Christ because Christ is all about change. So we end this word repentance with 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yes. His desire is for repentance, which is wonderful for us because if his desire was meh I don't serve a meh God I'd serve a God that desires us to repent so that we can be in a relationship with him which is still astounding to me so put yourself in this position guys we're going to see a lot more of these in the next few weeks you go to Walmart you go to Target you go to wherever and you see the guy standing on the side of the road holding the sign right And most of us generally immediately are jaded and go, yeah, he drank all his money away and he just did blah, 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 blah. Some of us go, oh, I need to go help this guy right now. And we need to do everything we can do to help this person immediately right now. That second response is God's response towards sinners because we're the guy on the side of the road going, I have nothing. I have nothing that can help you in your relationship. Because what's the guy on the side of the, on the road going to do to help your relationship? Slow me down, right? Be a drain on my resources. Give me something else to worry about. And God looks at that, because that's us, and he goes, I want that. And he reaches out, and he extends an opportunity to repent. And we go, I'll put my sign down and go jump in the arms of Jesus. And it's a whole lot better life there, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it comes as a result of that calling and that conviction and that evangelism, that work that we are called to be a part of. 
Can you tell I'm excited about repentance? I'm really excited about repentance. Remember, this is the minimum standard. This is it. This is repentance. Okay? This is critical. So the other side of this is faith. So that's our second word. So faith is man believes. Faith is man believes. I'm going to read you a longer definition. Faith is present confidence in truth, specifically the truth of the gospel, no matter what can be seen, whether I was present to witness or not present to witness the events of the gospel. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Faith is present confidence in truth, specifically the gospel, no matter what can be seen, whether present to witness the gospel or not present to witness the gospel events. So again, there are a wide variety of words, and I'm going to take just a second to explain something to you. For those of you that love this word, how many of you have enjoyed the word piece of this? Anybody? Okay, cool. Blueletterbible.org. Write it down, okay? I'm going to mess with your heads when you go home and do this, because this save, what I found yesterday that this website does will save me between four and five hours a week of study that I normally put into what I do for Sunday school. Um, some of you ask me how long it takes you to do Sunday school. It's, so if you count thinking and praying and studying and writing and revising and all that, somewhere between 10 and 15 hours a week. That's what I put in to do this because I love doing this. This is fantastic. This is going to cut four and five hours. Okay, you got that. There's a little search box. You type a word in the search box. Okay? Results come up. There's four tabs. The third one is Lexiconk, L-E-X-I-C-O-N-C. What this, word, what this button function does is it finds every word in the original language that has the word that you searched for as any synonym of the definition. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? So here's what I did to check myself. And I, I, was so, I was so excited. Julie was laughing at me because I was so excited. I went back and I looked at all the words that I've done so far in this series to see if I missed any. I didn't miss any. I was like, yes. All right, that was awesome. Um, but it was a fantastic tool. So it gives you everywhere you want to look. So it's a much broader way to do a Bible study. So for those of you that are bored to death, back to the Scriptures. Okay. So Strong's 539. This is the Hebrew word is aman. Uh, it means to support, to confirm, to be faithful. Genesis 15, 6. And he, this is talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. You go, how did Old Testament saints get saved? They believed in the work of the Messiah. That's what they did. Believed in the Lord. He counted it to him for righteousness. Faith has always played a part in salvation. Always, always. And you go, Jim, well then why did so many things have to bleed and die in the Old Testament? To paint a picture of what was coming... All the stuff in the Old Testament is pointing forward. It's a shadow of the things that are going to happen later on. And the beautiful thing is, and this is something that messes with my head when I think about it, all the stuff that happens in the New Testament is pointing forward as well to the relationships that we're going to have with God in the future. Everything always points forward. Christianity is a forward-looking thing. It's beautiful. So it counted him for righteousness. The next word, Strong's 530. It's the Hebrew word... uh, Emuna. Sounds like a name off of a character from uh, the what? The mummy? Yeah, okay. That works too. I was going to say, uh, oh, I'm going to blank. 
not the Lion King. The big tall blue guys. Avatar, Avatar thank you. Yes. Imumna, right? It sounds like. All right, never mind. Never, I thought it was funny. Exodus. <laughs> Exodus 17:12. So, but Moses' hand, I'm going to get tore up over this one. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one side, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady, and this is the word, until the going down of the sun. Anybody know the story here? What's the story? There's a battle, right? And God had told Moses, that when your hands are raised, the Israelites will prevail. Okay, well, I'll hold my hands up. This is fantastic. You ever tried to hold your hands up for a long period of time? They get what? Very tired. So Moses would get tired, and the people would start to die. So Moses would bear up, and Aaron and Hur would come alongside and hold his hands up. And it's beautiful, because that steady faithfulness in a job that doesn't appear to be all that glory. I mean, what what'd you do today? I held up Moses' hands. Really? I was down on the battlefield swinging a sword. That didn't look too important to me. Really? It, it was really important. And you may not have known how important it was. But I was holding up the hands of somebody who was doing the work. And that is what so many of us are called to do. We hold up the hands. We are steady. We are steadying influences. Isn't that just Terry up, Terry? It just, you know. Um, so on the website at the bottom of your page, I generally will write something that has impacted me as an intro one page to each series that I post. Um, and in the last couple of series that I have posted, I talk about my errands and my hers that have held up my arms so that I could teach these lessons. And, and it makes a difference. It is important. We get this opportunity to do this with each other, to be steadying influences, to be those that support and to hold up the hands. So thank you if you're doing that. And if you're not, look for somebody whose arms are heavy and hold up their hands because we need this. This is how we engage in this work. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 89. There's too many of these that I, I, it, it's sort of taken like another three pages of notes, so you just got to open your Bibles on this one. Oh, I say it like it's a bad thing. We have to open our Bibles on this one. <laughs> this word shows up a whole lot in Psalm 89. Verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Verse 2, for I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. Verse 5, and the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Skip down to verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. Skip down to verse 24. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with... This is God talking now. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. Psalm 89, verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Verse 49, skip down even further. Lord, where, you, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore in David in your truth? Really? Yeah. Because truth and faithfulness are interconnected in the Old Testament. Yes? Yes. 
It says faithfulness, yeah. Yeah, many of them will say one or the other. Very rarely will there be a translation that says something other than faithfulness or truth for that verse. Uh, but they're very interconnected concepts in the Old Testament. Because if I'm faithful towards something that is untrue, is there any merit or value in that? No, I've just wasted my life, right? But if I am faithful towards something that is true and right and good, okay. I've done something significant with my life here. So, Lamentations 3.23, they are new every morning. What's new every morning? His mercies, yes. Great is your faithfulness. The song came from this verse, not the other way around, just in case you're wondering there. Habakkuk 2.4, I love this. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his... That sounds like a very New Testament concept, doesn't it? Yeah, the New Testament stole this line from the Old Testament, guys. It was there in the Old Testament. So much of the New Testament is simply quoting the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons I love to get a translation of the Scripture that puts the Old Testament quotes in a different font or a different color or a different something so you can tell, oh, yeah, 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 we're referencing something over here. Yeah, it's all connected. It's all connected. So the next verse, uh, next word, Strong's 540, uh, this is actually an Aramaic word. I love, uh, I, I think there's a message here from God in this. I love the fact that there are three languages in the Bible. Uh, most of us are very aware of Hebrew and very aware of Greek. There's certain spots of Aramaic as well. It's, it's kind of like a first cousin to Hebrew-ish. Um, there's some, uh, some chapters in Daniel. There's a couple uh, verses in Ezra. And there's some one-liners here and there scattered throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And in all three languages that are present in the Bible, faith is present. And I love that. Is that no matter what language you want to study, you're going to hit up on faith in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. So Daniel 6.4 is a great example of this. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. There was any error or fault found in him. It is beautiful. So we skip ahead to the Greek, Strong 16.80. The Greek word, uh, the first Greek word here is elpsis. Elpsis expectation of good or hope. This word shows up 54 times in 48 verses. Um, a good verse here is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, one that we're probably very, very familiar with, one that you may have uh, calligraphy somewhere in your home, right? Uh, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I highlighted the wrong word. It should be hope and not love. So I just noticed that. So <laughs> fix that in the notes. Thank you very much. All right. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Actually, no, it should be hope. It should be hope. The word here is hope. Uh, Ephesians 2.12, that at times, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. I've gotten my notes. In its simplest form, hopelessness is being without God. It really is. When we find ourselves... And I go, there is no hope here. Well, that's because I'm not focusing on God in this situation. Because when I focus on God in this situation, there is always hope. Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is our hope. When I put my hope in anything else, I am disappointed. I have been married to that beautiful smoking hot woman for 13 years. And when I put my hope in her, 
I'm sometimes disappointed. And when she puts her hope in me, she's regularly disappointed. <laughs> right? But when we put our hope in Christ, we are then growing closer together because we are growing closer together to Him. You want to have a better marriage? Put your hope in Christ. That's how you grow together. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. I am so <laughs> thankful that my salvation does not depend on me. If it depended on me, I would break it and lose it like I do everything else. I had to go back to the house twice today, this morning, to remember the umbrella. I can't even remember the props that I'm going to use on the lesson that I've thought about all week, right? I have no confidence in myself. First Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give it to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We must always be ready to talk about the hope. Strong's 4102, it's a noun version. All right, so, so I am a firm believer that everybody should know. Thank you for at least trying to hide it, Carrie. I appreciate that. Um, some of you yawn, and when, when I turn and look at you, you're like, oh, crap, he saw me yawn. And some of you are like, I don't care, I'm tired. Some of you do these really wonderful... Awkward, like, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I see them all. Don't worry about it. It's, it do, I don't take offense to it. it. Just let it go. It's okay. I am a firm believer, however, that everybody should know a few Bible words in the original language. I think everybody should know the word agape. It's the, the Greek word for love. I think everybody should know the Hebrew word ahava. That's the Hebrew word for love. I think everybody should know the Hebrew word chesed. It's the Hebrew word for loving kindness, that thing that will chase you down and will not let you go. And I think everybody all know the Greek word for faith. And the Greek word for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, P-I-S-T-I-S. This is some of the core theology that the New Testament is built on. This is the conviction of the truth of a thing. This word occurs 244 times in the New Testament, guys. That's a lot. Anything over five or six is a lot, but 244 is like, good gracious, this might be even be a theme. Imagine that. Matthew 9, 2, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, you can see faith, because real faith can be seen. Real faith can be seen. Acts 20, 21, I know I'm going fast, we're almost there. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith, toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people today will tell you, just have faith. And I tell you, that is garbage. Because faith must have an object. If faith does not have an object, then it is faith in faith. Which is kind of like saying, I have cotton candy. Yay! Cotton candy has no real substance. Right? You can wad it all up, and you get it down, and you're like, oh, there's not much here, is there? And then it's just a sticky mess. And you go, well, I've, oh, this is sad. And that's what happens when we put faith in faith. We wad it all up and we get sticky and we go, this is sad because there's nothing of substance here. Faith has to have an object. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is why we have sermons and Sunday school lessons and teaching. And this is why we evangelize so that people can hear. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through Faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation and faith are inseparable. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith, this is the faith chapter, right? And it goes so well for everybody in the faith chapter, and everything's wonderful, and everything's positive, right? Until you get to verse 39. 
All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. And then it goes on to talk about the folks that get sawn asunder and the people that die and the people that it doesn't turn out well for. And you go, well, what's that in there for? Well, it's because faith doesn't guarantee an easy path. Faith guarantees you won't be alone on the path. Faith doesn't guarantee an easy path. James 2, 17 and 18. Thus also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Well, is that, is that a problem? No, it's not a problem. One side's looking at salvation before the moment of salvation. That's the faith justifies. One side is looking at salvation after the moment of salvation. That's the works justified. It's the proof, the evidence. You have to have both. It's two sides to the same soteriological coin. Last word. Strong's 4103 is an adjective. It means to be faithful. It's pistos. It's generally just a, mis- uh, a different spelling. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Revelation 210 the most encouraging verse in the whole thing. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And I go, amen and amen. Because I don't know what we're going to face in the rest of our lives, whether we're in prison or we're tested or tribulation, but we are commanded to be faithful unto death. It is very simple. It's not easy, but it is very simple. So, what's the understanding? The understanding is this. Man turns from sin and self and places faith in the finished work of Jesus. Please make sure you get that right. If you're putting your faith in anything else, it's faith in cotton candy. The faith required for salvation is faith that is in God to fulfill His promise of salvation. So the four things that we have on the synergistic side are sin, evangelism, repentance, and faith. Everything else is up to God. And next week, conversion and regeneration. That is officially the longest set of notes I have ever taught from in a Sunday school class. Ten pages on my side, guys. So thank you for your attention. I appreciate that. Um, Several announcements on your Sunday school hot sheet this morning. Um, We've got the Lottie Moon auction coming up. Um, There's some details on that. Please, please, please uh, get engaged. I'll send an email out to the group later today with a lot more detail. But if you will take one of those little bitty cards home with you and write on that the uh, uh, Pamper Me or the Staycation Chattanooga or the, what's the third one? I'm reading it upside down, Home Improvement. Um, That would be fantastically helpful. I appreciate that. Uh, But make sure your name is on that piece of paper somewhere. Show your prayer requests. And uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School this morning. Appreciate you guys.